Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. If you uh, are not been with us for a little bit here, we're in a series called More Than Meets the Eye. And what I love about the series that we're, we're talking about is it's not just focused on our inward life, but it's also that because you can only look so far inward. <laughs> and we're going to do a little bit more inward look, but we're looking beyond ourselves, more than meets the eye, more than just our lives. But, but to do that is we're, we're going to talk about the story that we, we tell ourselves. I don't, I don't know about you, but I love good stories. I mean, if, if you're watching a movie or if you're reading a, a good novel, man, there, you get caught up in the story. And, you know, when, when, we, when our kids are little, and maybe when your kids are little, you, you remember reading a lot of, I remember just reading a lot of books to the kids, right? They're just, each night we'd sit down and, and get them in their bed, and we would read stories to them. And, and the books, some of them are like really thin, so we would fly through the books. Like, I mean, we'd read these books over and over again. And I remember my daughter, we'd go through these books, and then she, then we, then we would tell some, I would tell some Bible stories. And we, and I don't know about you as a parent, even me as a pastor, I started running out of Bible stories. Like, I had to kind of go back in the Bible and research some more obscure stories, stories that are not the popular ones that are there. And I'm like, man, I got to keep telling, telling stories. Night after night, my daughter wanted stories. And, and, and pretty soon she said, Daddy, can you tell stories about you when you grew up? Will you tell a story about you? And so the story I would tell her, would, and I would start it this way. I would say, I would say this, well, once upon a time and a long time ago, there was a, uh, there was a little boy named Danny McAvoy, and he lived at 3311 McAlpine Road, and he had a mommy and daddy that loved him very much. And then I would go into a story about myself, but even after that, I would run out of stories about myself. And then pretty soon, guess what? Little Danny McAvoy's flying. He's, you know, he's hanging from here. He's doing all these different, you know, acrobatic, you know, supernatural powers that it, he, this little boy had. And, and so I would just keep telling stories about myself. Some of them weren't true, but she loved it. And a lot of it was just the inevitable, didn't want to go to sleep, right? We can tell those stories. Maybe you've done that. But you know, the story that you tell yourself is way beyond a, a bedtime story. The story you tell of yourself actually has a lot to say about you. It has a lot to say about your past and what you experience. And so today we're going to spend some time just talking about the story that you, you tell yourself. The version of your story. And really it's the backstory of your past that has greatly effects on your future. Think about the voice that speaks to you the most. It's your voice. You are, yeah, you and I, we'll talk about a moment, we're influenced by the, the voices around us that shape it. But internally, there is a narrator, there's an internal story, and it's this story that is, is your point of view, but let's be honest, it's very biased. But people can't argue with it, because it's your story. You know, this really happened, this is how I felt, this is what took place. But there's a version that's there that, let's just be on an objective level possible, is it might not be that accurate. But that's how you remembered it, and that's how you felt about it, and it's hard to argue with it. But the challenge is, the story that we tell ourselves, it, it, it's, it's flawed, it's skewed. 
And specifically, we're going to talk about it's, it's shaped by how, how and what we, we've experienced. And I, I think broadly, it's in two ways. Your story you tell yourself is shaped today because of the past in two, two ways. And the, fir- the first is this, is that how you've been loved. How you've been loved. How you experience love. It tells a lot about the story you tell yourself today. The other major category is how you've been hurt. Those, you think about it. Those two ways really kind of shape your story. So here's the question. What is the story you're telling yourself? See, if you grew up and experienced you know, earlier life or even your earlier adult life, you're older, you, you, if you felt love, if most of it you felt love, you probably have a pretty good outlook of life. You, you really actually would say, you know, life, life, life's pretty good because you experience a lot of love. And it was modeled to you. Your, your mom and your, your dad, they, they loved each other. And sometimes it, they, loved it, they loved each other too much and they showed affection and you're just like, oh, gross, you know, mom, dad, get a room, you know, like that just, but you had parents like that and they, they model loved you. And so today you would say the story you tell yourself is this, that I can be loved and I can express love and, and, and I, I can have a healthy marriage and you have an outlook of love because it's been modeled to you. Some of you had a great teacher. How many looking back in your life, you, have a, you had some great, wonderful teachers and influencers. We have teachers in this room, and you know at times, and struggle with your kids year after year, but the, the, the voice of a good teacher. And, and so, you know, I remember our kids, they had a wonderful math teacher, Mr. Freeman in Ferndale Schools. There's a wonderful guy. But he would teach not just math, but he would teach lessons of life. And he would, he would talk with them about leadership and everything. And they'd come home and we'd talk about what Mr. Freeman, and it's like, that was in math class you guys talked about that? But what he was teaching, and it's really the story we tell ourselves today, is like, I can work through problems. I, there's life story problems that I, and there's going to be, we're going to find a solution to that because that's the story you believe. You, you experience that. You might have had a great coach. Looking back in your life, you, you look back and it was not just, you know, the wins that you experienced that taught you, but it was the losses. And it's in the losses, the coach sat you down and said, you know what? What matters most is character and how to respond to it. And so today, the story you tell yourself is when the going gets tough, the tough keep going. We're not going to quit. They're going to work through it. There's a better day and we're going we're gonna to celebrate the wins, but we're also going to look for, also handle the losses that we go through in life. So you and I... If we can look back that there's some, we're shaped by love. It shaped us in who we are today. And it, maybe it's dominating your life is love. And that's awesome for you. But for a lot of us, it's not love. It was hurt that shaped our lives. We have wounds, deep wounds that affect us. Talk about, talk about marriage and, and, and how there's been hurt because you look back at your, your parents and, and they divorced and you know dad left or dad was never around and there was a sense of abandonment. And so what happens is a story we tell ourselves when we go through that hurt is like, I'm not sure if I can love anybody because when I reached out and loved someone, they've left me. They've abandoned me. And that's the story you have. And so you struggle with, 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 with love and, and, and emotionally you keep people at arm's length and it's created even a further sense of loneliness. Some of you grew up at times like I grew up where, where we were bullied. We, we experienced that. You're, you're called names, you're teased, you're laughed at, you're wounded severely. And so today the story you tell yourself is this, is the world's out to get me. Someone's trying to mess me over and I got to watch out. And so we also keep people and we can't, you know, we, we have some trust issues. And so we can kind of create a kind of a, a narrative in our, our lives of, of a victim mentality. 
And sometimes it's just very difficult for us to really get, allow people to get close in our life because we've been hurt by people that, that hurt us deeply. And those, that, those voices that we tell ourselves are still part of that today. You grew up maybe with this is you had high expectations that are put upon you. People gave you value, but the value they gave in you was, was how well you did in sports, how well you did in school or the activities. And it was about achievement. And so your value and how the story you tell yourself is, is that you, it had to do with like the report card and the final score. And so this today, you, it, when you struggle is the fact that you, you don't feel like you're, you're good enough. You're ever good enough. And when you achieve something, you know it's, you go, well, that's, I can't really celebrate the win. I got to move on because the story you tell yourself is that you just can't achieve it. And I, I've seen that in people grow up in church. Like I'm not, I can't be that good Christian, you know, boy or girl. And so we, we either go in two extremes. We go to be a perfectionist and we're trying to live up to this expectation. We stress and we have anxiety and we have worry in our lives. And, and then what we happen is we put, we put people also on a higher standard and they don't live up to it. We we bounce out. We, 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 we hurt them as well because we're, we're trying to drive this perfectionism. On the opposite happens, it's like, man, if I, I, I guess I can't get to heaven, well, I'm just going to live like hell. And I'm going to do whatever I want when I want it. And, we, we, and what happens is the op- opposite. We tell the story to tell ourselves, I'm no good. It doesn't even matter why even try. So here's the thing. We all have a mix, don't we? We have a mix. It's not like one is, you know, like dominantly saying, we would say we're probably a little bit of both, but one we can sway toward the other. And the reality is that the hurt that we have in our lives, it really does affect us greatly in how we move around in life. And I, and, and I don't mean you, but I don't want in my weakest, darkest moments and painful lives is I don't want my, narrative, my hurt narrative to speak to me. I don't want that. And because when it does, it's going gonna, it's gonna to spew out and it's going to affect the people around me. I want something different for my life. I want the story that I tell myself is of love, not of hurt. But that's the struggle we can find ourselves in. So that's why we do this series, More Than Meets the Eye, is that is looking beyond us. But there is triggers. There's, there's core issues in our life. And, and the story we tell ourselves, if we don't get out of this rut or whatever whatever we're going through we just put it on a loop it's like it's like your playlist on your on your spotify and pandora you're playing the same song over and over and over again you're like no i don't want that that recording that's there but the challenge is to get over ourselves is we got to go beyond ourselves and we got to go to the one who has the story has the story right a true story about us and here's the powerful thing is it's a love story. It's a love story. And it started all way back in the garden, that love story where God created all creation. And he said, it's, it's good. And then he created man. He goes, it's very good. And then just a short line right after he created man, he goes, oh, it's not good for man to be alone. Created the upgrade version, the woman, right? And and the two, the Bible says, became one. God declared it to be one flesh. Well, that oneness got broken when Adam and Eve sinned. They, they bit into the forbidden fruit and they, they doubted the goodness and the love of God. It created this, this incredible problem. And that was it, it skewed our story because of their sin. It skewed the story. It was no longer becomes this love story. It became a, a narrative of shame and of blame. See, after man bit into the forbidden fruit, what did he do? He, he hid. He ran. 
He was in shame. And, 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 and what happened is, if in our lives, when shame is our story, it intertwines in our life so badly because it causes us to hide. We don't want anyone to know. Shame is this deep, painful emotion of humiliation and embarrassment. And what's horrible about shame is this. I found as I talk with people in my own story is this, that shame is not only what we've done wrong that we're embarrassed about, and the humiliation that come if people knew, but here's where the twisted, horrible part of shame is this, is that shame lies to us. And it says to us, what others have done to you, that it's partially your fault as well. Shame, because of sin, skews and twists the truth of our story. Where it goes like this, it says, I, 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 I brought on the bullying because I stood out and I was different. I shouldn't have done that. I should have kept, I should have kept quiet. I, my parents divorced, yes. They, it's their choice. But I didn't help with that. And I, was, I wasn't a very good kid and I caused a lot of stress. And they even voiced that I caused a lot of problems. And partly why they divorced, it's my fault. And here's a horrible one that people live with. And it's so complicated and it's difficult. Is this, the people who have violated me, you know, it's, it's, I, I, you know well, I shouldn't have flirted. I should have gave a firmer no. Shame is a liar. And it, it, it twists, and, 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 and shame is more than guilt. Shame is, uh, guilt is I made a mistake. Shame says to us and lies to us that I'm a mistake. Shame does that and creates this false narrative that we believe. And so what do we do? We run, we hide, we cover up. We do whatever we can to avoid deeply issues in our life. And if we don't deal with them, here's the, here's the, here's the, the truth is it, it will destroy us. If it's not shame, it's blame. See, God, out of his great love, even after Adam and Eve sinned, he called out to them. He called out to them and found them and he confronted them. And man's response to the confrontation, hey, did you eat from that? And did you? Yes, but what, what did Adam say? It's this woman you, you put me with. She made me eat it. What does the woman say? This serpent tri- tricked me. In eating of it, blame, 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 blame. That's, that's how our media thrives on it today. In our, our story personally, we do this. We, we blame our parents, that ex-spouse, that bad boss. And blame becomes this defense mechanism. And we use it as a weapon so that we can stay in a victim mentality. And when we do that, we can relinquish all our responsibilities. Shame and blame are interwoven in our story. And they create a false narrative. And it comes down, and this is how diabolical it is. It's a false narrative that's really at the end, it's God's fault. And we blame God and, before our, and, and, and even our blame and shame we put upon Him. And yet that's the very opposite of God's character and His motive. Even after, think about this, even after Adam and Eve sinned and they hid and they didn't want to deal with it, God came to them. The Bible says He came to cool the day. What is He I want relationship with you. Even after the, even after the sin, they, He wanted relationship. And it's so beautiful how God in this, this tenacious love story, and He's coming after, searching after, and He expresses Himself all through Scripture in one powerful way. And that is to be this perfect, loving Father. 
perfect loving father. And when we bring up father and we connect God to it, it's wonderful and yet it's for those of us who have experienced the woundedness of fatherhood, it has brought a lot of pain and a lot of difficulty. And we have, as they call, daddy issues, father wounds in some way. And I'll tell you, we all have them. Doesn't matter who you are. For some, it's very obvious. You had a very difficult, neglectful, abusive relationship with your father. And it's difficult to sometimes can view God that way. For some of you, you go, daddy issues. Yeah, the issue is daddy was never around. I never knew my dad. For some of us, our, our dads passed away when we, were, when we were younger. But for many of us, there's a lot of people in this room who go, no, I had a wonderful, supportive, and caring father. But they, they had, even in their best intentions, they were not perfect. They were moral, they taught morality, but I didn't have the emotional bond. And so the story we tell ourselves, if, if my father was never around, it's hard to believe God would. If my father didn't connect with my pain, then it's hard to believe that God can. If, father was, if my father was about performing, then I, can, I always feel God's got me on a scorecard. And so our deepest ideas and thoughts and feelings of our past and our relationships, how we've been shaped in love and hurt, go back to this father identity and, and DNA of our personhood. For only, we need to know this, only a perfect father can fill the vacuum of our, of our empty, empty hearts. And so truly deep down, this perfect, unconditional love can only come from God himself. And we need to realize, here's the truth in our story. It is a reality. It is available because Jesus provided the way. He's the way maker. He's the way that provided this relationship that we can have that can be restored with our perfect heavenly father. Jesus comes out of the gate in, in his ministry. And, and I mean, when he's baptized, the, the spirit descended. It says, this is my son, a voice from heaven. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus starts talking about how to connect with God. He says, I and the father are one. Really? God the Father? He says, you, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, our Father. It wasn't just a formal address. It was saying, our Daddy in heaven. Saying, Abba, Father. It's the very, they believe Jewish people, the very first words of, 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 of a baby would be Abba, they would say. That's the connection, that relationship. And so Jesus is helping us and understand there's this perfect love of a heavenly father. And, and one of my favorite stories is so famous, and, and many of you know that if you're new to church and Christianity, you might not know it, but it's a story that Jesus tells of, of two sons. Two sons, but the, as we tell this story, we get in the story a little bit, just, I want you to think of these, these sons, one of shame and one of blame. And they, and they have an internal story. Listen to the story that they tell themselves and tell to their father. In Luke chapter 15, it says this. It says that Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Jesus tells this, this, the, the, the people in this scenario that of a situation that that, that really they, they, he, 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 it really wouldn't take place in a practical way to think that it was kind of almost outlandish that a person would come to their parent, to their dad and say, I want my inheritance. There's a big problem. <laughs> to get someone's inheritance, they have to be dead. He's literally saying, I want you dead. That's how that's how offending that, that statement is. But what's more outlandish in the whole story is this. 
is that the father agrees to it. The father agrees to say, son, you can go. And, you get, and they divide the inheritance. It, it's basically saying, Lord, I, I, you know, son, I love you enough to let you go. So the father, oh, I'm sorry, the son takes off. Jesus tells a story. He, he goes to the big city, blows his money on wine and on women. And when the money ran out, the wine and the women ran out as well. And he's left feeding pigs in a farm, in a long distance away. Now he's telling this to a Jewish audience who doesn't eat pork, let alone touches a pig. That a Jewish person would, would do such a thing is the most vile, lowest thing you could ever, ever do. But Jesus had a point. He got this guy to the lowest, the lowest of place. And here's a moment. Scripture says this. It says, when, he, when this younger son came to his senses, came to his senses. If there's ever an, a work of grace of God in our life is when we come to our senses. I think that's a supernatural God's grace that someone would come to the senses because we don't know. We tell the story, we tell ourselves that there's no way, there's no hope, there's nothing to do, and we have a wake-up moment, a smell the salt, smelling salts moment. And that's the work of God's grace. And what it says, the scripture says that he, he turned toward home, to come back home, and he does this. Listen to the story he tells himself. Listen to this story. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your sons. Make me like one of your servants. And that's what the, the, the son does. He, he has this rehearsal going on in his mind. But when we get to this moment, if you're ever going to find the most amazing, beautiful moment of the expression of the perfect love of a heavenly father and unconditional love is, is this moment. Jesus says, so he got up. The younger son went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. I love the fact that this small little moment, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. While he was out there. While he was at a distance, it wasn't like he showed up at the front porch and goes, oh, now you're home. The opposite. What does that say? He was looking for him, possibly on a daily basis, looking on the horizon. Is that my, is that, oh, no, that's not him today. Oh, does it look like, no. Day after day, he's looking for him, searching for him, hoping for him that he would come home. And he, what does he do? He runs to him. That's the most undignified thing a father... Dads didn't jog back then, okay? It wasn't a fitness thing. They, you, it was undignified because what you had to do is you had to hike your, your, tuna, you know, your robe or whatever and you had to run. That's not real manly to run that way, okay? But that's what he did. He did to run toward him. Like, why is that guy running like that? Because he's running toward his son. And I love this whole part because here's the son and you know I don't know how far away it could be a few days walk to get back home because he's at a distant land and comes back he's rehearsing like okay you know I'm no longer I'm no longer a son I can just be a slave I can just be a servant if you could just let me be in just kind of let me be in I, I don't have to come in the big house I'll be in the little house and I'll I, I can I'll just serve you I don't need to be I, I can't you know he's going through this rehearsal over and over and we do that with God sometimes we do that like God I'm not worthy I'm not worthy I'm not worthy and 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 so he's getting to the place and they imagine this embrace and it's almost like the, the son is just trying to get the words out like I'm not worthy to become your son and, and the, 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 the father's like shh 
No, 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 no. What, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to get, we're going to get the ring. <laughs> we got to get the ring. The ring is so significant. It's the, it's the insignia ring. It, it's, it represents our, uh, it represents authority that you're part of our family. I mean, that, that tells you that you're, you're connected with it. We're, we're going to get the robe. I mean, you give a robe to, uh, you give it to a guest of honor. We're going to get sandals for your feet because no, man, you're not, we just sang it. You're not, you're not a slave. You're a son. Slaves don't have shoes. Sons do. You're free man. There's freedom that I have for you. And I'll tell you what, we're going to get the fatted calf. We're going to be Texas barbecue because we're going to eat. Okay. And that's going to be good. And we're going to celebrate because my son, my son was, was once declared dad is now alive. Listen, I don't know where you are in your story of shame, but shame is not your name. Shame is not, a, you, you, slavery is not your name to shame. I tell you, with, with God, there's no scorecards, there's no more objections. It's unconditional love that's offered to us. I love what Bob Goff says. He says, God doesn't just want us to behave better, but be His. Shame is no longer has to be in your story when you embrace this, uh, this unbelievable love of your heavenly Father. But remember this. There's two sons. There's two sons. One, of, one that dealt with shame, but another one dealt with, dealt with blame. Dealt with blame. Younger son was dealing with shame. The older one was dealing with this blame. And, and listen to his, his response of hearing his kid brother's homecoming. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. But listen to what his father did for him. So his father went out and pleaded with him. His father went out and pleaded with him. We can't miss this. Just like the younger son, when you saw him on the horizon coming, he went out to him. And he ran to him because he's lost and he's hurting and broken. And it, and, and it was obvious to him. I mean, he, he got his tail whipped in life. I mean, he experienced the low, low. He was humbling himself before his father. And, and how would you not, Lord, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he embraces him. He took that risk to do that. But we cannot forget that the father did the same thing for the older son as well. Why? Because he loved the older son just as much as he loved the younger son. And cared for him. Even under his very roof, he loved him. Cared for him. And yet, listen to the response of the, of the father, or of the son. And I think this is powerful. That even in the anger, that even in the stubbornness, and even in the pride, the father reaches out. But listen to the blame story. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaved slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. All these years, I've been slaving. What's he saying? All these years, I, I've not, I, I don't have sonship. I don't have, I don't have that father-son relationship. I, mean, I, I look at myself as a, as a slave. I look at all that I've done. Look at all I try to do. And what he's saying is not only did I, that I did my share, but I did my brother's share. The, you, you know, the care. And you can think about, man, this, this father might have been grief-stricken, the loss of his, of his son. And imagine just the hostility this older son felt over and over. Like he sees his father crying for his younger son. He's going, what about me? What about, I'm here, I stayed. What about me? Slave. He realized it was it was about it was about duty. It was about 
it was not about love. And listen how skewed the story and how he spews right here. He says, he said, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate my friends. You didn't, basically, you didn't give me anything. And I stayed with you. And I, I, I was there for you. And I, you, and I, all the things I did. And then he hits them like two birds with one stone of a double blank. He says, when this son of yours has squandered your wealth with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him. This son of yours, what is he saying? I'm blaming my brother and I'm blaming you all at once in that statement. Humiliates his brother with prostitutes, trying to just to, just to shame his brother and, and spews this to God or spews this to, to his father. And how many know we can do that with God? God, I've been faithful. Lord, I've done everything you do. I mean, I've been given to this building program. In fact, I gave that thing when it was that thing, and it was called this thing, and I gave this thing, and I gave, that's my story so low. I gave, and I gave, and I gave, and I gave. Lord, I served, and I served, and I served. I've, I've loved, and I loved, and all of a sudden, these new people come in, and they're all, everybody's excited about the new people. They're excited about, well, this person came to Jesus and everything, and I just, I don't get it. I don't feel that way. I just feel like I don't matter. It's blame. Here's the danger with it. So important. Whatever pride or in, uh, uh, entitlement that we can come over ourselves, like I've been, you know, I've done this and all that, is this. What happens is that pride will always keep you from the party. Pride will always keep you from the party. Pride will stop you from really truly celebrating other people's successes and other people's wins and the kingdom of God growing because we're worried about us rather than experiencing this unconditional, perfect love of a heavenly father. You know, what's interesting is with this older son, you know what he did next? It's kind of interesting. You, you read that. Did you check out what it says next? You know how he responded? You know what he does? We don't know. Nothing. Did he go in? Doesn't say. All we can know is this, is that pride will always keep you from the party. Pride will always keep you from the party. Pride, what it does is in our stubbornness and our criticism and everything it goes, it will, it will keep you from the celebration of not only the, the celebration of, of a person coming to faith in Christ, a person that comes back to, the, to understanding and embracing the love of, the, of a perfect heavenly father. But what it ends up doing is this, it, it leaves you out of it because you stepped out of it. You're not willing to go into it. Oh, the grief that was there, then the missing opportunity that was there. But you know what? I think there's a reason why Jesus leaves a cliffhanger here. I, 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 there's a reason why Jesus leaves a cliffhanger here when it comes to why he didn't do it. Why he didn't share about what happened to the older son. See, it's interesting. There's three stories. You know, the Bible says that, you know, he continued in his story because there's two stories before. There was, a, there was a story of the lost sheep and the shepherd went and found, he left the 99 and found the one. And then and there's the story of the, the lost coin. The woman lost the coin and searched high and low and found the coin. But the lost son, no one searched for the younger son. No one went out there. The older brother should have went and found his younger brother. Didn't do it. Here, I think, I believe this, Jesus saying, Jesus saying, I am the elder brother. I am the perfect elder brother that provides a way for you to come home. I am the way maker for you to come into relationship with a perfect, loving, heavenly 
Father. Listen this morning. If your story is of shame and of blame, and you're at a place, and you and I at times wonder and even doubt the goodness of God, and the, does God even really, truly, truly love me? He does. How do I know that? He proved it. He proved his love. First John tells us this. This is how God, God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and set his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. What does it mean? It means this. It seems this is our thought today. At the cross, Jesus flipped the script and rewrote our story. At the cross, Jesus flipped the script and rewrote our story. What this means is that the sacrifice of his sins, of our wrongdoing, and the brokenness in our life, he blotted out through his blood and rewriting our story. And it's a story that's a new story. It's not a, it's not a worn out, it's not a remake story, Okay? It's not Hollywood's not being creative and they're remaking movies all the time. No, it's a brand new story. It's a story of our lives. And it doesn't contain shame and it doesn't contain blame. It is a story of redemption. It is a story of our life that we can tell, that we've experienced. The story that we tell ourselves now is not the shame that we felt and what we did wrong or people done wrong to us. And it's not a story of blame. And like, if those people would have done this and if I, you know, this happened and God, you did this. No, it's a story of this beautiful path of uh, a beautiful story of incredible redemption that's led to transformation for our lives. We don't have time today. We're going to wrap up. Oh, we might even get it to next week. Now I'm thinking about it is Romans chapter eight and how this is all lived out that we're going to talk about today. But I want to leave you with this, this thought is this, that Jesus is rewriting your story. Jesus rewrote your story already on the cross, but through the process of growth in Christ, he's rewriting your story every day. And you and I both struggle, I know, to go back to our old story. We struggle, don't we, to go back and we, we read. And like, that's not our story any longer. It's not of shame and not of blame. But he's rewriting a story of redemption. I'm going to invite Chris to come as we close. And we're going to do part two next week. I, I, ran, I completely ran out of time. And the lust, you're looking at that outline going, what about to this? We're not going to get to that, okay? We'll do it next week. I got a whole message for that. I'm like, oh, what are we going to do with my time next week? Getting ready for it. It's going to be, well, hopefully we'll get to that. Romans 8. But let me say this as we close. There's a story of redemption. Chris and I were talking yesterday. I feel the Lord want me to lead this. Talk, talk about this. We were talking about people's lives and not, not in the sense of like those people, those people. We're just talking about people that have gone through a whole lot and the choices they made. People that, that you know, went through a divorce and it's, they, 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 Gosh, if we would have made it right, if I would have stayed with that person, if I would have kept this job, if I wouldn't have made this decision on it. And I thought this is so powerful and it hit me. is like, if God is a God of redemption, this, the best version of your life is still being written. Even in the mistakes, even in the choices that you and I have made, the stories of shame and blame, it's a, it's a new story to be written. Does that make sense? That whatever is forward and the choices we make, and we're going to make bad choices again, but he's continually redeeming, 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 and the best version of you and the best story is still to be written. Do you believe that? 
Because he's a redeeming God. And what that means is we don't have to worry about the past. Yes, we can learn from our mistakes. Let's take those lessons appropriately. But let's not lay them over our heads or allow other people to put that over us. We We are new creations in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. Do not let the story you tell yourself any longer in Christ and what we have to be of shame and of blame, but of redemption. Will you pray with me? Lord, I, I, you're not done. You're not done. Even when we don't see you working, even when we don't feel you're working, you never stop, Lord. You never stop working. And you're doing that work in us. And you are, as you rewrote our story already, there was a moment on the cross, there was a moment when you said, it is finished. You put that moment in time for us, that through your blood that you shed, that moment happened. And you began to rewrite our story. Story of not of shame and of blame. You took our shame and blame and were nailed to the cross for for that sacrifice, for our sin. So now that we can have a new story, a story of redemption. And it's people here today that are some people here today, and I would say all of us today, we still blame, we still tell the old story about ourselves. Oh Lord, may we tell the new story. May we tell the new story of what you've done in our life and what you are continuing to do and continue to write a beautiful, beautiful story of redemption. And Lord, we're going to stumble and fall and fail and mess up along the way, but you're still doing a work and continuing to do a work of rewriting our stories in each of our lives. And I pray that we would do the same. Lord, I pray that we would do the same in the lives of people, that you're flipping, flipping the script, not only in our life, a new story, but you're doing it for others around us, that we could see that work being done. So Lord, do that work in us, Lord, so you can do that work through us. And Lord, when we go through our week and our day and we start telling the old story, oh Lord, we brought back the reminder that no, we're loved by our heavenly Father because of the work of Jesus on the cross for us, that we have this wonderful relationship that doesn't doesn't mean we we try to earn it and buy it or do it. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with you and you provided it. That we can live that out, this life, this story of redemption, we pray in Jesus' name.